Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, Jim. Great to be back for the latest edition of The Other Hand. The agenda today covers a whole rake of issues, actually. The number one for me is the raft of economic data that we've had out over the last few days uh, around the world, US, Europe, China in particular. And I think the service that we can offer listeners, if we can do this, is to sort through the confusion because it's all over the place. There are indicators going up, indicators going down, and a lot of noise. And we've got to try and do a job today, Jim, of sorting all that out and saying, what is actually happening to the world economy? Is, are there commonalities uh, between China, Europe, and the United States? And where are the differences? And there is a lot of uh, data, which hopefully we won't go to in, in much detail. It's the narrative around the data that I think is incredibly important. It is an incredibly big week for interest rates. We have three big central bank meetings. The only one missing really is the UK. But the Federal Reserve in the United States, the ECB and the Bank of Japan are all meeting this week. And with varying degrees of activity expected from those central banks, I think the ECB has the toughest job of all uh, because it is committed to raising rates again against a background. And I'll give you a spoiler alert here for what I actually think about the the European economic data. That's pointing for me to to quite a, a significant slowdown. In the, in the European economy. If we get time, I just want to mention that the Russian stock market is at a 17-month high, the highest since the war began. Jim, the, all the PMIs have coincided with weakness in Europe, mixed bag in the UK, mixed bag in the States. And of course, there's the China story. It's almost as if the Chinese government listened to you on our last podcast because we talked about all sorts of things, Chinese, how important they are for, for the world economy, world financial markets. And lo and behold, 
since we last recorded that podcast, they have announced more stimulus pledges. We haven't got much detail about what those pledges amount to, but that has led to Chinese stocks going up a couple of percentage points overnight. The Chinese currency is at the highest in a month and a whole raft of commodity prices are up, not just for Chinese reasons, but China is being a big story for things like steel futures, copper futures, lots of headlines around commodity prices. So Jim, I'm going to leave it to you to sort all that out and tell us what it all means. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Best of luck with that. Uh, I, As I said in our last podcast, I just find the Chinese situation increasingly interesting. Last week, we spoke about the weakness coming through in the economic data, the property market, exports, consumer spending, just general activity. And the Politburo issued a statement earlier this week, and Xi Jinping has pledged to revive growth and specifically He's talking about boosting domestic demand and supporting property markets. It remains to be seen what that actually means, uh, what they will deliver. But as you describe, it has had a significant impact on markets, particularly um, in commodity markets, because as the world's second largest economy, China makes a major contribution to the demand for everything. So if China is going to get a boost, um, clearly the demand for commodities will rise and we get the sort of effect that we're seeing at the moment. Uh, as I say, it remains to be seen what the Chinese will actually deliver in terms of uh, boost to policy. But um, that's the verbiage we're hearing at the moment. Uh, we got a question um, on our Substack account from a listener who was asking us about how we interpret what's happening with the foreign minister Kin Yang, my pronunciation is probably all wrong, but he's been the foreign minister since March. Uh, his last appearance was on the 25th of June. There's been a lot of speculation about why he's disappeared. Uh, but on cue, the Chinese have just announced that he is being replaced as foreign minister. Um, I have no idea why or what, what it actually means, but um, one of the concerns around his disappearance um, was you know, the impact it might have on the increased efforts that are being made to improve diplomacy between the United States and China. And in November of this year, Biden may be meeting Xi Jinping at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum, which is being held in the United States. Um, so that, that will be one to watch because, as we've said many times, um, I have no doubt whatsoever about it. The relationship between China and the United States is really going to be the dominant geopolitical theme for, I think, um, years and perhaps decades to come. Uh, but, you know, a, a lot of stuff happening there. In, in terms of trying to interpret what's happening in the rest of the world in terms of economic activity, um, in the euro area, um, as you said, and I totally agree with you, the European Central Bank has the trickiest task at the moment in determining where interest rates go from here. Uh, the headline inflation rate uh, is still too high, but the underlying inflation rate at 5.5% is certainly too high from a European Central Bank perspective. And clearly, there is a market expectation that the European Central Bank is going to deliver two more interest rate increases of a quarter percent each. But the economic data out of Europe, particularly the survey data, is pretty weak. 
Um, we've just had the European Central Bank's quarterly survey of lending. Um, basically, they interview banks about lending conditions and so on. And um, loan demand from business is at the lowest level in 20 years. And there have also been significant falls in demand from households for credit. And also, um, more banks have tightened credit standards in the second quarter. So the credit situation is certainly tightening and the demand for credit is weakening. Probably no surprises there, given the sort of monetary tightening we've seen since this time last year. In fact, this week last year, the European Central Bank started to tighten rates. The purchasing managers indices, and just to remind listeners again, that with these indices, a reading above 50 means more firms are expanding the contracting. A reading below 50 means that more firms are contracting than expanding. The composite PMI for the euro area fell from 49.9 to 48.9. Um, so a bit of weakness coming through there. Manufacturing continues to be the area of intense weakness. The index there fell from a very weak 43.5 to an even weaker 42.7, which is a 38-month low. And the new orders component of that, which is the forward-looking component of this indicator, is now down at 38.8. So European manufacturing, certainly in the doldrums. Service sector, Still above 50, but it too has weakened from 52 to 51.1. And I think it is this strength in the services sector that has been of most concern from the European Central Bank perspective. So I think the European Central Bank will look at this weakness that is starting to emerge in the service sector and say, yeah, that's good. Or what we're doing is actually working, uh, but we may have to do a little bit more. Uh, German business confidence has fallen to an eight-month low. So I, th I think there's not a lot of confusion, actually, about the European economic picture. You know, it is one of weakness. And clearly, the interest rate tightening is impacting. We now just have to wait to see um, the sort of impact it has on inflation. I think you're right to say that the European picture is probably the least confusing of the major regions. But there is actually one confusion in my head anyway, still remaining. And that is, with the economy doing what it's doing, and all of the signs that we've seen from global inflation that it's coming down, why are they still putting up interest rates? Indeed, that, that is the element of confusion. I think it's because of the tightness of labour markets. It's, it's the ongoing strength in the services sector and the fact that excluding food and energy, you know, inflation at 5.5% is still way above. Um, I it's it's clear and it has been clear for some time that they're just going to apply a hammer to this and they will keep hammering it until they believe they have enough done and the market view as i say at the moment is that we're going to get a quarter percent this week probably another quarter percent in september and at that stage the european central bank will call a halt and stand back just to see how the cumulative rate increases seen since the 27th of july last year actually start to impact because as we've often discussed there is a time lag between the implementation of an interest rate decision and the full economic impact of that uh, but clearly irish mortgage rates and other mortgage rates around europe but ireland is, is of interest mostly to our listeners 
uh, Irish mortgage rates to go up um, over the course of the next few months by another half a percentage point. Would that be the that 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 is the sort of consensus view at the moment? And it's, do you think that matters for the housing market? Do you think uh, it make much of a difference from where we are uh, now? No, I think it does matter, Chris. There's no doubt about it. And I, I spoke last week about the CSO, the latest CSO data on house prices, you know, showing that the market is continued to weaken in terms of prices. You know, another half percent onto rates, I think, will just exacerbate that. But I keep making the point, and this is coming true in the States as well, when there is a fundamental imbalance between demand and supply, uh, you know, it, it does to some extent dilute the impact of significant interest rate tightening because talking to state agents around the country, there's still a lot of cash buyers in the market here. And um, for those people, the interest rate situation isn't isn't significant. So it, it, it's a mixed picture. But you'd have to say, uh, given the interest rate tightening we've seen and with the prospect of a little bit more to come, um, you know, you'd expect to see house prices continue to soften. Uh, but as I said before, I think last week I said it actually and it'll probably come back to bite me. Um, I just don't see the basis for a significant correction in house prices here at this juncture. I think it's just a softening of what has been an incredibly hot market over the last couple of years. We probably need a combination of things to happen to bring house prices down a lot, which I know it always sounds slightly perverse, is something that we should all want, actually, house prices to come down a lot. Uh, but let's not get into that one. The things that need to happen, I think, include, obviously, interest rate rises, but they probably need a big economic slowdown as well. They we also, of course, to state the blind, we obviously need to build a lot more houses as well. So many things need to happen for a significant correction in house prices. I can fully understand why you don't think one is highly likely. We talk probabilistically because we know how difficult it is to forecast this stuff. The one thing that does niggle at me about these kinds of things is that when we talk about another half a percentage point on mortgage rates, it doesn't sound like a, a lot. It's a problem given how much they've gone up already, but in and of itself, it's not expected to break the back of the housing market. The problem that niggles at me is that at some point, I think non-linearities will kick in. That's a jargonized way of saying there will eventually be a straw that breaks the camel's back. And that whereas 50 basis points or half a percentage point on interest rates this time last year didn't produce a crash in the housing market, there will eventually come a point at which half a percentage point will produce a big crack in the housing market. But as we say, we're not sure that it's this one. But if the ECB look at the incoming data and decide that half a percent isn't the end of it, then I think we will be revisiting this conversation and thinking about the straw that breaks the camel's back in this case the housing market's back. And the thing that I think will be alarming the central banks is that story that we took comfort from in recent weeks about global inflation falling all by itself as the supply chain thing worked through the system, as energy prices fell and all that good stuff. A lot of these prices are going the wrong way again, Jim, aren't they? Well, they are indeed, Chris. Yes, indeed. And uh, we spoke last week about the Indian ban on certain rice exports um panic being, buying in certain emerging and other markets of rice exactly and um we we see the ongoing russian drone attacks on 
grain silos in Ukraine. And I, I think it has become a little bit more sinister over the last couple of days because a lot of grain silos on the Danube, on the border of Romania, which is a member of NATO, are being taken out by the Russian drones at the minute. So, you know, clearly, um, and I, I think you, you put this headline on the podcast when you posted it at the weekend, Putin is trying to force um, inflation up again. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, the Ukraine situation is, is worrying, actually. I mean, obviously, it's been worrying for, since, since it started. But there are, as you say, sinister, particularly sinister developments it starts with uh, the Wagner mutiny of a few weeks ago and the way in which Yevgeny Prigozhin, who is the leader of Wagner, uh, is frankly questions over why he is still alive. People have done far less in terms of their criticisms and other actions. Is he still people. alive? Yeah. Um, okay. People have fallen out of tall buildings for doing far less in Russia. Um, he's shown up in Belarus. And there are t- rumored, credible stories of two Wagner bases being built in Belarus. And Putin and the leader of Belarus got together in recent days and almost in a joking way, but definitely sinister way, started talking about the possibility, maybe hinting. They didn't threaten it explicitly. So it was more of a hint that one of the reasons, or perhaps the reason, that Wagner, this mercenary group of soldiers, is building their bases in Belarus, is that they're going to attack Poland. Yes, yes. Uh, the The Wagner Group is something called a private military company, which enables Moscow to have what I call implausible deniability about Russian military activity around the world. Wagner has been particularly active and particularly nasty in Africa. And to cut a very long story short, the business model of Wagner is it goes into a small or indeed medium-sized country and says to its dictator, leader, politician, whoever, we will uh, put you in power, we will keep you in power in return for mineral rights, things like diamonds in particular, and we will kill anybody that stands in your way. And the way in which they kill people is gruesome. It involves torture as well as murder. And it also involves killing all potential witnesses, women, children, whoever might be witness to what they're up to. This is the deniability thing that, A, they're a private military company, not the Russian army. Well, you know, you know, can imagine what I think of that. And secondly, there are no witnesses to their activities. But of course, the stories do leak out. They do get out in the end. And what they've been up to in Africa is truly, truly shocking. Mali is um, the latest example. 
Yeah. So uh, it's it's it is sinister. The thing about the grain silos is that Putin has been attacking mostly grain silos in the key port city of Odessa, which is really interesting because in his original intention to absorb Ukraine back into the uh, Russian empire or the Russian family or whatever label you want to put on it, Odessa would have been a big part of it. It was back in the day, which is something that Putin obsesses about, history, Russian history, Odessa was the fourth largest city in the Russian Empire in the 19th century. And uh, it has great historical significance for Russians. Most of its citizens, most of the people who live in Odessa, speak Russian as their first language and would have been reasonably well disposed before all of this to to Russia. Now, of course, they absolutely hate them, uh, are the stories that are emerging. And the really awful thing that seems to have emerged from this is that Putin has given up on the idea of reabsorbing all of Ukraine and therefore Odessa back into the Russian Empire, at least for now. And so uh, rather than preserving it as, as something, as a trophy for the future Russian Empire, he's just decided to flatten it. There are repeated missile attacks. You know, it's a UNESCO heritage site that's been attacked. There's all sorts of things going on. So it's becoming another one of those Ukrainian cities that we we fear for its future. It's totally despicable. Um, So it's it's partly just lashing out, I think, because he's, you know, wanted Odessa back in the family and they're not going to be back. And secondly, the grain silo thing, because it is an important port for the export of of grain, uh, is is just trying very hard to um, impoverish uh, already poor nations, make them go even hungrier, put the grain prices up, cause us problems. It's just just evil and wickedness, of which we have seen a plenty in this war. Uh, But it is a new stage in the wickedness that we are seeing. Chris, the Federal Reserve is meeting this week um, against a confused background again. Uh, We got some evidence yesterday that house prices are on the rise again, despite the interest rate increases we've seen. And uh, the basic reason given for this from commentators is that demand continues to outpace supply. Uh, so, you know, that's offsetting the interest rate tightening. But the National Association of Business Economics, um, the latest survey shows a pretty dramatic majority believing that the chances of a recession in the next 12 months are declining. And indeed, the purchasing managed index for manufacturing up from 46.3 to 49, still in contraction territory but that's a significant improvement. And services sector jumping from 50.3 to 53.9. So all of the evidence suggests that um, the US economy is proving remarkably immune to the sort of tightening that the Fed has delivered. Um, And that, of course, suggests that uh, the Fed is going to keep going. So, you know, we're going to get probably a quarter percent this week, but uh, there's a lot more to come, would you think? Well, I don't know, Jim, because I've always been on the side of team transitory and have shut up about it for the last year because it was obviously so wrong. Uh, But now I'm quietly uh, back in that camp because uh, I think that inflation is coming down all on its own accord uh, without the help of central banks. And the US would be be my favourite country for what's called the immaculate disinflation which is that activity keeps up, there's no recession, and inflation comes down. 
and that the connection between interest rates and economic activity in the current set of circumstances is discovered to be far weaker than we previously thought, at least in the United States. But again, it is confusing. Uh, if you told me that interest rates were going to go up to in excess of 5% from zero in such a short space of time in the United States, I would have forecast a recession and been wrong. But as you say, Jim, there's no real sign of weakness in economic activity, particularly the labor market. And the all of the indicators suggest to me that with a little bit of volatility, growth is hovering around the 2 to 3% GDP range, which is fine at a time of full employment. And that what will actually happen will be determined by the actual inflation data. If inflation continues to fall, then I think the Fed will, will stay on hold. I can't see interest rates coming down unless there is a sign of recession, of which there is nothing at the moment. Uh, but if inflation gradually comes down or, or just sticks around the current level, the Fed will, will I think, pause for the foreseeable future. Um, but interest rates won't come down in the way that the market is currently expecting for 2024. For those market expectations of lower interest rates in 2024 to come to pass, the recession story must come back. And that, as you say, is what economists are doing, is that they're pushing their slowdown stroke recession forecasts into next year out of this year, as we run out of months in the year for, for the recession to actually happen. Um, so, yes, I, I agree it's terribly confusing, um, particularly in the United States, less so in Europe, as, as we have discussed. My guess is that they'll do one more and then they'll just leave things on hold, unless this commodity price story that we're talking about really does bubble up again and give another kick to inflation. Because although they're supposed to be managing core inflation, if commodity prices spike again, and I note that it's not just wheat and food commodity prices that are up, oil prices are up, Jim, yeah. natural gas prices are up off their lows, and these sorts of things, if they give another kicker to inflation, then any idea of a Fed pause or there only being another 50 basis points, half a percentage point in Europe, I think that will be wrong. And Chris, um, where you are at the moment in the UK, uh, the Composite Personal Matters Index down 52.8 to 50.7, with services from 53.7 to 51.5, manufacturing from 46.5 to 45. So there again, we get the ongoing story of the main weakness in manufacturing and service sector, while weakening is still reasonably robust. Uh, but then the CBI, Industrial Trends Survey in the UK, uh, pretty strong. Um, so we, we, we get all of this confusion. And there was an interesting study just published um, from the Institute for Fiscal Studies showing that London's highest earners have reaped the biggest pay rises since the start of the pandemic. Um, and this is, of course, widening the gap between the richest and the poorest. So the foundation for or sorry, the Institute for Fiscal Studies estimates that top earners in London, mainly working in finance, accounting and the legal profession, have seen earnings grow 5%, whereas the national average is estimated at 2.7%. So, you know, here we again, we get this ongoing theme of growing inequality in some countries and um, I, I suppose the more interesting aspect of all of that is the political ramifications of it, because, you know, the Bank of England is going to continue to tighten rates further because inflation in the UK 
um, relative to Europe and the United States is certainly way out of kilter at the moment to a much greater degree. Uh, so the Bank of England will continue to tighten. That's going to hit uh, the more vulnerable in UK society harder, obviously, than the um, top earners, which are who are still doing very well. So what does all that add up to in a political sense? I mean, Ker Starmer, I, I despair more and more when I look at what he's doing and not doing. I mean, his response to the failure to win the Uxbridge constituency in South Ryslip last week, uh, I, I thought was really displaying a distinct lack of backbone. As I think one of our commenters on the Substack site put it, Britain is showing just the limitations of democracy in that you can't do stuff that means that that people don't like. I mean, that, is, I suppose, is a definition of democracy. And people don't like paying for climate mitigation. Uh, th- that is what it is. And we can disagree with it and wring our hands and shake our heads and roll our eyes. But that is the situation, and that if you want to get elected in the UK, and I suspect in some other jurisdictions, you're going to have to be very careful about imposing the costs of climate change on your electorate. If you do it, you're going to lose votes. So how do you mitigate the climate, or do you just accept that we're all doomed because we're all stupid? Uh, You can probably guess from my remarks on the last pod where I think the truth actually lies. Uh, The two parties have behaved disgracefully. The Labour Party has lent on the London mayor who was going to introduce this ultra low emission zone and charges. And the the, the situation is ridiculous. They've interviewed people who've got electric Mercedes sitting in their driveways, railing against the ultra low emission charge and what it means for them, not actually realising their electric Mercedes means that they will not have to pay the ultra low emission zone. So it's, it's mad stuff. And the Tory party is living up to its name, given to it by Theresa May of all people of the nasty party, because it too is rolling back its climate uh, promises. It uh, it still says it's committed to net zero by 2050, but is rolling back from all of the things that it will have to do to get to net zero by 2050. So it, it's, it's quite depressing. And the other thing that the nasty party is doing is that it clearly is going to reignite stoke the fires of the culture wars that have been raging in the UK ever since Brexit and they think that's where their votes are going to come from. So it's all it's all terribly depressing. From an economic perspective, I think that those numbers that you quoted for all the various surveys, some going up, some going down, are consistent with what the UK economy does, which it either delivers on a quarterly basis zero or zero point one percent growth. And that's it. And it's been doing that for ages, and I would consider it likely to do that, give or take, for the foreseeable future. Okay, Chris, can I just wrap up on uh, what's happening here in Ireland? There's not a lot at the moment on the economic news front. Uh, There's there's a lot of data due out by the end of the week, which will be interesting. Uh, But, uh, you know, you you talk about the whole environmental thing in the UK and about um, democracy making it impossible, actually, to do anything that tackles... Uh, the climate crisis, uh, that there is just massive, massive um, antagonism in the agriculture sector here at the moment. Um, And the IFA is hosting all sorts of meetings around the country where farmers are totally objecting to the whole green agenda. And uh, they're not 
literally burning effigies of Eamon Ryan at the moment, but I, I guess that's next. But it, it just shows how dif- difficult it is for the political system. But one thing that is is really annoying me at the moment, um, and I, I suppose I, I have referred to this in the context of the Oroctus hearings of the RTE people a couple of weeks back, how I, I was expressing the view that if only those politicians would actually devote as much passion time and attention to the real issues affecting Irish society and Irish life at the moment, um, I'd welcome it. But um, we we have an, an something else going on here. The hate speech bill is being pushed through the Oireachtas by the political system. You know, government is intent on doing this. Uh, there's massive opposition from certain quarters to it. And I, I, I guess we need another 35 minutes to talk about it. So I'm not going to get into the rights and wrongs of it, other than to say it is preoccupying certain areas of government and governance at the moment. But at the same time, uh, you know, the housing situation, the health situation, but more importantly, I think the violence on the streets here. I mean, you've seen the horrific stories in recent weeks about a US tourist being um, having life-changing injuries in Talbot Street in Dublin. Um, a couple of weeks previously, a Ukrainian actor was attacked outside the Abbey Theatre. Uh, likewise, life-changing injuries to him. Um, and yet, uh, we're obsessed with this hate speech bill and we're not actually addressing this sort of violence on our streets. Because if you want hate... That is real hate. So here we are again. Um, democracy pisses me off, Chris. Yeah, it uh, certainly, um, I think Churchill said it's the least worst form of government, but it certainly doesn't lend itself to taking tough decisions. So we can see that certainly across a number of jurisdictions at the moment doing the really difficult, dare I say, unpopular stuff. So let's leave it there, Jim. Thanks for that. Great discussion as always. And speak to you next time. Super, Chris. Good to talk. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on The Other Hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. If you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements, you can sign up to our Substack account. Comments and feedback are much appreciated. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.